Thank you, Dan, and choir and instrumentalists for our beautiful music this morning. We look forward to the next three big worship services featuring our choir and our orchestra. Turn your Bibles to 1 John, the first letter of John. Now, not the gospel, but towards the back of your Bible, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4. And if you'll just stay there, we'll look at various passages in John's epistles called the Johannine letters right there in the back of your Bible. Today is the Advent Sunday of joy. If Christmas is about anything, it's about joy, isn't it? My favorite carol among them all, we, we sang it just a moment ago, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Christmas, joy. And we can never forget that angelic proclamation found in the second chapter of Luke. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people everywhere. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, good will toward men. Good news, the angel says, of great joy. That's what Christmas is. It's joy. I want to show you some things about joy from John's letters that I'm going to bet you've never seen before. You've probably passed over before. Turn over to 1 John. Chapter 1 and verse 4. Why does John the Apostle write this letter? And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. I'm writing this letter to you. We're writing it, he says, John and company, that our joy, the letter writer's joy, might be complete. John writes a letter so that he can have complete and full joy. What is joy for John? Joy for John is fellowship or community found in truth. Joy for the Apostle John is fellowship or community found in the truths of God. Now, don't turn to these for time's sake, but the same writer of these little letters is the writer of the fourth gospel, John. And I want you to hear what he says about joy there because it's the same writer. In John 3, 28, John the Baptist, not John the writer, but John the Baptist is speaking. And John the writer has John the Baptist say it this way. I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Well, of course, the bridegroom is Jesus. The bride is the church. And John the Baptist is the best man at the wedding, and he says that his joy is full. And for his joy to be full, Jesus must increase, and John the baptizer must decrease. Well, there's another instance in John 17, 13 in the gospel. Jesus says this, but now I come to you, 
And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I come and I say these things, Jesus says, that they, meaning his disciples, may have my joy full. Yes, in John's writings, whether the gospel or the epistles, the letters, we are to be a people of complete and full joy. Jesus says, I'm here that they may have full joy. And then John says, I'm writing this letter so that my joy may be made complete. Now, look at his next little letter. Turn a few pages over, probably about three pages in your Bible. You'll come to his second little letter called 2 John. There is only one chapter, so just look at 2 John verse 12. Having many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face. Literally in the Greek text, that's speak mouth to mouth. I want to be right there in your face. I don't want to write it to you. Why? Am I, why? Why? That your joy may be made full. There it is. So John says, we write that our joy may be full in the first letter. and the second letter, he says, I want your joy to be full. I want you to have complete and full joy. Okay, if John wants his joy to be complete, and John wants your joy to be complete, and Jesus has come in the gospel, the writing of the apostle John, that we may have his full joy, if you look at the letters of John, how do we get that joy? If you were to study the, the epistles or the letters of John, what makes for that complete joy? Well, I, I found four C's in John that make for complete joy in these little letters. Uh, the first one is confession of sin. Confession of sin. Now turn back to that first letter, chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The first C for complete joy in John's letters is confession. We can pretend we're sinless, John's saying, but it's not so. If we claim we have no sin, we're lying. And so in verse 9, he lays it out. We are to be a people of confession. If we confess our sins, Jesus, God, faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The first C for complete joy in John's letters is confession. We have two choices, John say. We can deny our sin or we can confess our sin. He says if we walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we're walking in the light, then he tells us we must confess our sins. But here's the thing. The effectiveness of our confession doesn't lie within ourselves, the confessor, 
but rather in the faithfulness and righteousness of God. If you think God can't forgive you for whatever you've done, you're making your forgiveness dependent upon you. It's not. If we confess, who's it dependent upon? The one who is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is impossible for us with the right spirit to confess our sins before God and Him to refuse to forgive us because God must be faithful and righteous to all that He's accomplished in Jesus. Jesus is the payment for our sins. We are to confess. Thomas Martin was a, formerly a manager at a jack-in-the-box in Oroville, California. And there was a robbery, $307 taken out of the cash register right at closing time. He called the police. The police showed up, and they had a, an artist that would sketch a, a description of the thief. And the artist's name was Jack Lee. And Tom Martin described the thief in great detail. And Jack Lee kept sketching the description of the thief, of the robber. And finally, when he was complete... When he talked to Tom Martin, and Tom Martin had described the thief, Jack Lee held it out and said, well, it, it looks a lot like you, Tom. The man had described himself as a thief. And so the investigators began to question him about it, and he admitted he was a thief. Subconsciously, as he was describing the thief, he was describing himself because he was the thief. I guess it was easier just to tell the truth about the shape of the eyes than it was to lie and how big the nose was and the darkness of the hair. Here it comes. Confession can only occur when we identify ourselves as the culprit. Confession can only occur when we identify ourselves as the culprit. We are the picture that's sketched by the artist. We are the sinner confession. There's another C for complete joy in John, and that is Christology. Christology. What does Christology mean? It means to have full joy, we must believe the right things about Jesus. To have real joy, we must believe the right things about the Christ. Confession and then Christology. John is writing because there were some folks in the community to which he was writing, or communities, that were, they were saying something like this. This rabbi Jesus wasn't really the Christos, the Messiah, the Christ in the flesh. In fact, some of them went so far as to say that the Christ indwelt the rabbi, the earthly rabbi Jesus, that the Christ indwelt him until it came time for crucifixion and the real Christ could never be crucified, so the Christ left him and ascended to heaven before he was crucified. They weren't believing the right things about Christ, about Jesus. And so he wants them to know that Jesus was the Christ in the flesh. Look at 1 John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation. We might say that Jesus is the payment for our sins. And not only for ours, but for those of the whole world. 
Well, what does John say about those who claim that Jesus was not the Christ? How big of a deal is it for someone to think that earthly Jesus was not the Christ? For complete joy, you must have good belief about Christ. And if you claim something other about the earthly Jesus, that he was a good man or just another rabbi, what would John say about you? What would John call you? Well, look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. Skip to verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is in the truth. Did you know that the only biblical writer... To ever use the word antichrist is John. And John uses that word not merely for some future figure. Mostly he uses it for those right there 2,000 years ago who said that earthly Jesus was not the Messiah. He says the antichrist is already here and is yet coming. Well, look at uh, 2 John 2:22. He says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Who is it that lies? Who doesn't believe the right thing about Jesus? The one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the Antichrist. Could it be any more clear than that? If you don't have good Christology, if you don't claim that Jesus was the Christ in the flesh, John would call you the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. And the one who confesses the Son also has the Father as well. You must believe the right thing. Well, turn over to chapter 4 of 1 John. If you think that was a happenstance or a one-time occurrence, look at 1 John 4, 2, and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Here's the core right here. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. How do you tell if someone believes the right thing about the Bethlehem baby. Is he saying that Jesus is the Christ incarnate in the flesh? If so, it's the right thing. If he says something other than Jesus is the only begotten, unique Son of God come in the flesh, it is the spirit of the Antichrist. Well, let's go one more time. Second John, go to the next letter, Second John, verse 7. 
I don't know how it could be any clearer, and I don't know how we have so much confusion. Here it is, third time, the Apostle John himself writes, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Now, John said it three times. One thing matters. These churches are receiving false teachers who are saying that the old rabbi Jesus, that Jesus himself was not the Messiah. The Christ could not have skin and bones. And so John says, if you say that, you are not for Christ, you are anti-Christ. You are a deceiver. You are a liar. Someone comes to me and says, Pastor, what do you think about this group? What do you think about that group? Do they have enough of the truth to be called part of the kingdom, part of Christianity? Is there enough truth to what they're teaching? I know they're off base here and there, but is there enough for them to be part of the church, part of the family of God? I only want to know one thing. What do they say about Jesus? What do they say about the Christ? Do they say that 2,000 years ago he was born of a virgin? Do they say that he lived a perfect life? Do they say that he died a substitutionary death, that he paid for our sins through his death? Do they say that he had a glorious bodily resurrection, that he ascended to heaven and he's coming again for the church? What do they say about Jesus? For complete joy, we must have good Christology. Here's a third thing, commandment keeping. The third C, commandment keeping. To have joy, we must keep God's commandments. Oh, he's already told us that we have to admit we're sinners, and when we do sin, we must confess, but then he calls us to to keep the commandments. Now, I've been doing a lot of studying in the letters of John, and I can't give it all out to you today. Starting January the 9th, we're starting a Tuesday noon Bible study on John's letters. We'll go through 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John for five weeks, and I'll give you a lot more on that Tuesday noon series that I can give you right now. But I do want you to see about commandment keeping. Turn back to 1 John, 1 John 2, 3. We'll go through six. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. There it is. Full joy, commandment keeping. The, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we're in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the manner as he walked. Commandment keeping. Commandment keeping. Because he said that we're all sins and we shouldn't lie about our sin, then some people might be given to loose living or licentiousness. Well, we're all sinners. It's no big deal. Oh, that's not what John's saying. After he tells us to confess, he says we are to be commandment keepers. Look at 1 John 2.29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. 1 John 3.18. Little children, 
Let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. Deed and truth. Put some, put some, truth, some feet to your faith, he says. 1 John 5, 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and observe his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Commandment keeping. Turn over the second letter, 2 John, verse 4. The elder writes and says, I was very glad to find some of your children, that means church members, walking in truth just as we receive commandment from the Father. I'm glad to see that some of the church members are walking in truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Look at 3 John, go that last little letter. 3 John 11, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil is not of God. Keeping the commandments. A little boy one time, he wanted to buy his mother a Christmas present. He went to the department store and he wanted to buy her a cookie jar. And he asked the lady at the department store to show him all the cookie jar, jars. And she showed him some that were tall and some that were small and some that were colorful and some that were clear. And he went to every single cookie jar. He took the lid off. He put the lid on. He took the lid off. He took the lid on. And finally, at the last one, he was... He was just kind of downcast, and he says, don't you have any lids that don't make noise on the cookie jars? <laughs> the cookie jars always clank with God. They always clank. We are to be keepers of the commandment. Bill Bright once said, in all my millions of miles of travel to most major countries in the world during 50 years, I have never met a happy, disobedient Christian. And likewise, I have never met an unhappy, obedient Christian. Millions of miles, 50 years, 50 countries. He says, I have never, ever met a happy, disobedient Christian. And likewise, I have never met an unhappy, trusting, obedient Christian, no matter how difficult the circumstances. Obedience. There's a, a fourth C, compassion. It's throughout the letters of John, and, and we don't have time to unpack that. We'll unpack it more at the Tuesday noon series if you, if you care to come, but I do want you to see 1 John 2, 7 through 11. Beloved, I'm not writing to you a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. There's no cause for stumbling in him. Compassion. I'm giving you, oh, it's not a new commandment. Oh, yes, it is a new commandment. Love one another. What he's saying is in the old covenant, there are some commandments that tell us to love and care for each other, but they are reborn in Christ. 
Love one another. Look at 1 John 4, 7, 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 2 John 5, it's in all of his letters. Now I ask you, lady, now ladies, what? The church. Now I ask you, church, not as though I am writing a new commandment to you, but one which you have had from the beginning, that we ought to love one another. And you cannot, he says in 1 John 4, 20, you cannot love God whom you have not seen if you do not love your brother whom you have seen. Compassion. 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 Caring. A cab driver reports. Two decades ago, I drove a cab for a living. It was 2.30 a.m. The building was dark except for a single light on a first floor window. Under those circumstances, a cab driver is tempted to just honk the horn twice, wait two minutes, and drive away for another fare, another passenger. But what, for whatever reason, I felt compelled to go up to the door at 2.30 a.m. to see if the passenger was ready or might need some help. I walked to the door, and I heard crying out, just a minute. It was an utter frail voice. I could hear something being dragged across the floor. After a long pause, the door was opened, and a small woman in her 80s stood before me. She was wearing a print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned to the hat. She looked like she had stepped out of a 1940s movie. By her side was a small nylon suitcase the apartment looked as if no one had lived there in years. All the furniture was covered in sheets, and there were no knickknacks, there were no utensils, and in the corner there was a cardboard box of photographs and glassware. Will you carry my bag out to the car, she asked with a weak, failing voice. He says, I, I took the suitcase to the car, and then I came back for her, and slowly I helped her to her car, and she just kept thanking me for my kindness, and I said, it's nothing. I, I try to treat my passengers like I would treat my mother. You're such a good boy, she said to me, the cab driver writes. Now, I was in my 50s, but to her, I could have been her son, and I was a, a good boy. When we got into the cab, she gave me the address to where she wanted to go. And then she asked, but could you drive me through downtown on the way? Now, that's not the shortest way, I said, warning her about the fare and how it would change with all that meandering through downtown. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left. My doctor says I don't have much time left. I quietly reached over and turned off the meter. Where would you like to go? I said. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me a building where she worked as an elevator operator when she was young. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newlyweds. We parked in front of the house for a little while. 
She had me pulling in front of a furniture warehouse that used to be a ballroom. And she told me how she used to dance in that ballroom. And sometimes she'd ask me to pull up to a certain corner of an address and just tell me to stop. And she would just stare into the darkness as if she were seeing yesterday and saying nothing. The first hint of the sun was creasing the horizon and suddenly she said, I'm tired, I'm through, let's go now. We drove in silence to the address she'd given me. It was a low building, a small convalescent home, and when we drove up, the orderlies came out. We passed under the portico. I was getting her bag out of the trunk. They helped her in, and by the time I brought her bag, she was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you? She asked, reaching for her purse. Nothing, I replied. Oh, you, you have to make a living. Oh, there'll be other passengers, I responded. Almost without thinking, I, I bent down and she gave me a hug and she held on so tight. And she said, you gave an old woman a moment of joy. You gave an old woman, a moment of joy. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I was lost in thought. I drove aimlessly through the town. What if that woman had gotten a driver who was angry? What if she'd gotten someone who was in a hurry to finish his shift? What if he'd pulled up, honked the horn twice, and driven away? I don't think I've ever done anything more important in my life, the cab driver, cab driver wrote. We are conditioned to think that our lives evolve around great moments. But the great moments catch us unaware as they're wrapped in the small acts of kindness or compassion. People might forget what you say to them or what you do, but people will never forget how we make them feel. People will never forget how we make them feel. Compassion. Confession. Christology. Commandment-keeping. Compassion. All John's joy. Let us pray. A map in your word, O oh God, to real joy. Being honest about our sins, believing the right thing about the Christ, keeping your commandments and having compassion for our brothers and sisters in this place. Father, I pray that we would be a people of joy. That whatever our difficulties, our struggles, our losses, our grief, on this day, at this moment, we'll know that joy is here. That you are a good God and you're in control. Should your spirit call someone this morning, I, I pray theirs would only be an act of obedience. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is 295, 295. Maybe it's your Sunday for this Christmas to come and say that Jesus is your Lord. 
Maybe today is that day. Maybe it's your day to come and be a part of our church family. Stand together as we sing 295. got to confess to you, I don't want to overshadow Infant King this afternoon and this evening, but if I've had one call, I've had a thousand calls of people asking for the singing announcements this year. If I've had one call, I've had a thousand, I promise you. So I think it's that day, and it's only, only fitting that I would ask you and Anna to, to join me. Would you guys come and help me share announcements this morning? Okay. Maestro. <laughs> Hark the herald angels sing. Bring your mission offering. Sixty-eight thousand is a lot. But just look at all you've got. We will take your year-end cash And we'll spend it very fast Just be sure to get it here By the last day of the year Through your wallets to a search Bring your money to our church All the Christmas tickets are gone now. Ha 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 ha. You have waited much too long now. Ha 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 ha. I kept talking. You should have listened. Ha 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 ha. Check the table in the hallway. There may be returns you never know. Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, morning and then afternoon, 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. 
or 6 p.m. or just stay home. Soon it will be Christmas Day. Oh, the music was so delightful. But the choir is tired and spiteful. And our hunger is starting to show. Let us go, let us go, let us go. Well, guys, that's usually our, our last song. And each year, this is such a treat. But also, I, I, I want to add something new and something exciting. And so I think I found the best song yet. I, I've got some words here. We, you guys just, just kind of join in with me, okay? How we, how we, he is our pastor. He preaches until noon each week. That is just too long. <laughs> and all the people said, <laughs> What? Rahabi, Rahabi, he used to work here, but he couldn't keep his big mouth shut, so now he's unemployed. <laughs> That music stuff is not nearly as hard as they want you to think it is. <laughs> Anybody could do that, right? <laughs> there may be a few tickets left, and I think there are, so if you need a ticket for today at 4 or tonight at 7 or tomorrow at 7, then you go straight to that table and run over everybody getting there. Uh, we, we want you to be here tonight. Also, Christmas Eve, now let's get this straight. We put it in the newspaper, we put it in the reporter, we have sung about it, but here it is. Next Sunday morning, in the morning, we have one regular worship service at 10 o'clock. Everybody got that? And then you can come back at 4 or at 6. So 10 o'clock, traditional worship service, Christmas Eve candlelight services at 4 and 6. So you can come 10, 4, or 6, or 10, 4, or 6. Everybody got that right? So, 10, 4, or 6. Let's stand together for our closing prayer. These words are written, O oh God, that we might be the people of full joy. Amen. Thank you.